Grab your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2. I'm excited to jump in this word with you. It was fun at the first service. I didn't get to a whole point. I don't know if we'll get to it today either, but let's see what God says. Revelation 2, stand with me if you would. Let's jump into the word of God. If you're online with us, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, do us a favor, like and share on Facebook. Like and share on Facebook. And then like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, thank you to all of you who've been subscribing to our YouTube channel. And uh, to all of you who are guests here today of all the places you could have been, I'm so glad you're here. At the end of our sermon, we give you a chance to make some decisions. And if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to honor you publicly. If you, if you want to say yes to Jesus publicly, we want to participate in that journey with with you. And if uh, you already go to a church and you're here visiting with us, we're grateful. But if you recognize you're not growing where you're going, we want you to grow here. Um, 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 nothing lives in dead spaces. And so if you're at a place and you're trying to give life to it, you're not Jesus. But I can tell you a place where life is. And I think you're in a place where you can look around us and see where life is. And so we want to participate in your story and be with you to build the body of Christ. We're going to continue our journey in Revelation. Um, I've been praying about this one, and uh, it, it gets better and worse from here. But if we take it to heart, I think a lot of things will change in our lives. Uh, Revelation 2.8, it says this, To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Somebody say, I am rich. Jesus says, I know, hallelujah, that should have made somebody shout. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not and are, look at that, and are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. But be faithful, even to the point of death, and Jesus says, I will. Someone say, he will give you life as your victor's crown. Yeah. So whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. I want you to underline verse 11. The one who is victorious. Someone say, I am victorious. I am victorious. So here's what he'll give you. You won't be hurt. Hallelujah. By the second death. Father, we give you your word back to you. And I pray, God, that as you've shared with me in private, as you wrestled with me this morning, I pray, God, that today people can see the victory on the other side of wrestling with your word. Father, open our eyes that we might see you, open our ears that we might hear you, and break our hearts as we learn to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated all across the building. Let's jump into the word of God. If you're looking for a title, it's just the letter to the church at Smyrna. We gave you some sheets that break down our text and break down the five motions of every letter in the book of Revelation. We will see the same five principles. It begins with this. Jesus says, this is who I am. It's his character. This is what you're doing well. That's Christ's commendation. This is what you're doing wrong. That's Christ's correction. This is how to correct it. That's Christ's exhortation. And here's the promise of those who overcome. That's Christ's promise. Here's the thing I want to tell you about correction. Jesus only corrects because he loves you. And the goal of our faith is to be made into the image of Jesus, to reflect Jesus. When Jesus is correcting us, Jesus is literally looking at pieces of our lives and saying, stop doing that because I don't do that. I want to just be really clear. He corrects us by saying like, hey, stop it. I don't do that. We can get mad at correction because you were doing it, and you enjoyed it, and you liked it. Like, sin is fun until you get corrected. 
You only, like, I used to get whippings. We were talking about whippings. You only whip your child or you correct your child because you know the other side of it and you don't want the consequences of what you're doing. Jesus is looking at us, and in the midst of correction, here's what you do as a great parent. Don't do that, but let me show you what you can do. Jesus in this correction in these letters, it, it may get weird, but that's a good thing. Because what sin does, sorry, what salvation does, salvation gives you a conscience. I want to really hold on to that. It's one thing that when I sin and I don't have a conscience about it, when I said yes to Jesus, I now am aware of how bad sin is and more so how good Jesus is. And because I have a conscience now, when I'm corrected, I get excited because I'm aware of what I will avoid so I can look more like Jesus. So when we engage in this, the question really is, do you want to look like Jesus? Then receive the slap on the wrist. That's what Jesus is doing to Smyrna. And we're going to see this for the next couple of weeks um, because the people were living in a really crazy space. The word Smyrna means myrrh. And myrrh is a compound taken from a shrub that was pressed into a resin and used for a few days. And Smyrna, uh, myrrh was used in a myriad of ways. I wanted you to see how clear and wonderful uh, myrrh is. I'm just going to use this as my own oil. And so myrrh, you can see how clear it is. It was a common perfume. It's a beautiful, beautiful color. It was used to anoint people inside of the temple. And it was also used for embalming. So if you remember when Jesus died and Jesus was embalmed in frankincense and myrrh, uh, he was embalmed in this type of myrrh. It's a beautiful, beautiful smelling thing. Um, it's used for embalming the dead, used for covering the dead. It's a very beautiful, clear, wonderful oil that's completely natural. So Smyrna, the word myrrh, that's where it's coming from. It was the original main import and export space for, uh, for myrrh. It's going to come up on the screen so you can see what myrrh looks like in this original compound. So that's what myrrh looks like. So you would press it, you would press it, and you would pr pr end up producing this really clear oil. If you're going to use it for oil, you can use it for perfume, whatever it is. So this is what they would use to embalm bodies. So you would put this myrrh on there. So if you remember the story of Jesus where Mary and Martha came and they were going to anoint his body with 300 pounds of spices, they were using myrrh like this to anoint his body. So that's what myrrh looks like in its original form. So it was the main import-export space. So in Smyrna was 35 miles north of Ephesus. Um, a picture of the city is going to come up on the stage, on, on the screen. And you can see what the city looks like and the layout of the city. Inside of the city, you had a bunch of temples to pagan gods. And so when you walk into Smyrna, you come in here, and I'll show you guys this, on the Ephesos Gate. So coming in right here, you come in on this gate because it's 35 miles north, north, uh, west of yeah, northwest, northwest of Ephesus. So you come in at the Ephesos gate, you see the temple of Akaros or the temple of Zeus, uh, the temple of Athena. And that's where the main temple was, one of the biggest temples. We're going to get to that later because he actually calls this the synagogue of Satan. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, you see here then the stadium. So you would come in and every one of these cities would have it. This stadium is where wild beasts would punish people. Uh, you would be eaten or the Olympic Games, things like that would be handled at the theater stadium. The stadium sat about 20,000 people. Then you see further up is the theater. That's where the, the the mimes would be, the comics would be, the, the minstrels would be, things like that. You see all of that at the theater and all throughout the city. So the way you would get around the city, you can bring it down. The way you would get around the city is you would come into, you would grab some incense and you would burn incense. And you would have to say, hail Caesar, that I worship Caesar. That's how you then are saying, I'm going to pay my taxes to Caesar and I'm going to worship Caesar. The reason we get this letter is because the Christians weren't doing it. They weren't doing that. They were saying, listen, we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to honor Jesus. And so we don't know exactly when this church was planted there, but we can surmise it was sometime between 53 and 56 AD. 
Today, it's Izmir, Turkey, which has over 3 million people. And so Old Smyrna, which you just saw, is a place where pilgrims go on tours where, to see the leftover remnants of the Greek and Roman construction. As we see, it was an area occupied by military force. And so this, it's going to come up on the screen, this picture of the streets of Smyrna and some images in Smyrna, the, the fountain you're going to see, um, as well as the, the breakdown of the temple. And I'll break this down for you in a second. So when you would come into the Ephesos Gate, you would see this gate of Faustina. And that's another akin to the Greek goddesses. And so you would come into this big gate, and so you would grab incense. You would have to burn incense and say, Hail Caesar or not. Or you'd be put into prison, which we're going to talk about in a second. You'd be put into prison. So we talk about Roman persecution. That's the persecution. If you didn't hail Caesar, a pagan god, you were put into prison. This is the Temple of Athena. Now, the Temple of Athena we see there, that's what, what at one point was one of the largest synagogues in the area. And I'll show you a picture of it uh, currently in a second. Uh, but that Temple of Athena, that's the ruin of it. That was the temple of Zeus, the place, the synagogue of Satan, or the place of the dragon. And then here's the, the, uh, the archaic fountain house. So you see how low that ceiling was? To give you some, some context behind that, the Jesus, we believe, the average Jewish man at this time of the text, was probably like 5'2 to 5'3. Like men weren't very big. Women were not very big either. That's why Goliath, for example, we believe Goliath was no more than like 6'8. But at that time, he was a giant because everybody else was so small. So that's where we get this, this archaic fountain house being so low. That's how tall people were. Like the average house height was about six to seven feet because the people were only like, you know, four or five feet and they were building their own houses. If you go to the next slide and show the streets of Smyrna. And so this street you're going to see here is the Golden Street. Um, this is the main thoroughfare in the Golden Street in the city of Smyrna. So you come in and you would see here they were very well paved. This is one of the original streets that st still stays there. But you would come in and the Temple of Zeus was the beginning street. You would come in and literally see the synagogue of Satan as soon as you came into the city. And then you would end at the end of it with the other temples to other pagan gods throughout Smyrna. So what you see in the background is New Smyrna. This, we believe, was the, one of the original streets of the Golden Street that was from Old Smyrna. And so the reason I wanted you all to see this is you can see this is what people were dealing with. They had the temple of Sibel, the temple of Apollo, the temple of Ascapelos, the temple of uh, Aphrodite, and the foothills was the great temple of Zeus. And so the, the screen's going to come up, the, the synagogue of Satan. I want you to see what the synagogue looks like, the altar of Zeus. At one point, we believe this was the largest Greek altar that is known to man. Now, I want you to understand this, that the largest altar that they knew of was an altar that was built akin to the place of the dragon, the altar of Satan. So much so, they rebuilt this altar. They rebuilt this, I believe it's in Germany now. And they rebuilt this altar as a place where people can go and see how big this was. So imagine, this is just the front facing of the altar. Imagine this about four football fields long was about how big the altar and the synagogue was, the synagogue to Satan. The largest altar was not one to Jesus. It was called the synagogue of Satan. This is what Jesus writes this letter to. This is why Jesus stopped John on the island of Patmos and said, tell this to the people. Because if this is the largest altar, something else has to be established. And church, if we were to look at our world right now, you can bring it down. If we were to look at our world, everything that's going on in our lives, everything that goes on in our jobs, our relationships, our, some of us, our biggest altars are not the ones we give to Jesus. Some of our largest altars are to other gods. Jesus writes this letter to them. And he writes this letter to us as well to make sure that we destroy that altar before that altar destroys us. So I'm going to show you how we build it. I'm going to show you how we sustain it. But I'm going to show you how we can destroy it as well. 
how do we do that? Well, let's look at verse number eight. So we start with Christ's character. Jesus says, this is who I am. Who is, he, who is Jesus? Every single letter that he writes, he introduces himself differently. That's why it was different in Ephesus, and it's different in this letter to the church at Smyrna. And here's what he, how he introduces himself, and I want to explain to you why it's important. These are the, ones, the words of him who's first and last, who died and came to life again. Here's why it's important. The first and last happens a lot in Revelation, harkens back to Isaiah. If you're going to understand Revelation, we've got to look at the Old Testament. And I want to do that with you. Because remember, at this time, Old Testament, the Jews would memorize the Torah. So a lot of times Jesus, because he was a Jew, would quote the Torah back to his people. And so the, here's how important the Torah was to Jews. Um, that At one point in their lives, what they would do, they would take the Torah, they would open the Torah up, they would pour honey on the Torah. And the student would come and lick honey off of the word of God to show them that no matter how difficult the word of God is, it's always going to be sweet to your palate. They would literally try to show you that the word of God is never given to harm you. It's always going to be sweet to you. That's why Matthew and the Gospel of Matthew continues to reference back to the Old Testament. Every time you see Matthew, Matthew was, trying to, was a Jew who was trying to make sense of a Jew who did a lot of Jewish stuff. And everything Matthew did was always harkening to the Old Testament. We see the same thing in the book of Revelation. So as Jesus is establishing himself again with the people in Smyrna, he quotes Isaiah. So I'll give you the scriptures. Isaiah 44 and 6. This is what the, word, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there's no God. This isn't new language. This is a reminder of old language. Isaiah 48 and 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I've called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. So what is Jesus trying to tell us about his character? Jesus is showing us, hear me, I am the eternal one. I am the first. I am the last. And look what he says. I was dead and I'm alive because I am the resurrected one. Now, this is so vital because these things that Jesus is trying to give them was so important. He's not only telling them Old Testament literature that, yes, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but then Jesus begins to attack their reputation. Remember, Smyrna was known for myrrh. Big, they were the biggest import-export for myrrh. Smyrna had the reputation. If you look at Smyrna, the look at the layout of the city, it was in a circular pattern because they called themselves the glory of Asia or the crown of Asia. If you were coming in on a boat on the Aegean Sea, you would look up in the mountains and you would see that Smyrna was at the top of the mountain. It was the glory, the crown of Asia. And here's why that's so important. In 600 BC, the Lydians destroyed Smyrna. 400 years later, there was no city, just scattered villages. But people still talked about Smyrna. So for 400 years, by 290 BC, they began to bring Smyrna back. And you get the picture of a phoenix rising from the ashes. The phoenix rising from the ashes was Smyrna being rebuilt because they prided themselves on being the city that at one point was dead and they, through hard work, brought Smyrna back to life. They prided themselves on being the dead city, 600 BC, that they brought back to life, the phoenix rising from the ashes. Smyrna was known for this. And so here comes Jesus, and Jesus says, I know that's your reputation. I understand you pride yourself on being the city that was dead and came to life. I understand that you sell myrrh, and the purpose of myrrh is to embalm the dead, to protect the dead. But Jesus says, you came and put the same myrrh on me 
me that you thought you put on your city. And Jesus says, I am bigger than your reputation. I am bigger than what you can produce. I am bigger than frankincense and myrrh because I am the one who was dead and I came back to life. Jesus says, I am bigger than anything you can create because the moment you begin to worship your reputation, I'll show you I am more valuable, I am more trustworthy than anything that someone can say about you. And I'm talking to somebody in the building who's been worshiping your resume and you're trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm in the holy, I'm, you're trying to find a job, you're searching for jobs, so you're worshiping what other people think about you, you're worshiping what the world says you ought to be, you're worshiping some sort of workplace, um, workplace, I think it's ADS, you're worshiping what resume systems say about you, but Jesus says, when's the last time you put your resume on the altar and trusted I am bigger than your resume, I am bigger than your college degree, because Jesus says, I know your reputation, but I am the one who was first. I am the one who was last. I am the one who was dead. I am the one who's alive, and I'm still alive, reigning over the city. So do you want me, or do you want your reputation? Jesus establishes his character and says, if you trust me, I'll give you something the world can never give you. What will he give you? Jesus tells you, this is my character. This is who I am. He says, I am the eternal one. I am the one who was resurrected. I am the one true God. I have done what I said I would do. I am doing what I said I would do. I am fulfilling every promise that I told you I'd fulfill. Jesus says, I existed in eternity past. I am the one who conquered death. I am the one who conquered the grave. I am who's the one who stole the sting from your pain. I am the one who gives you victory every time you wake up. Jesus says, I was dead, I was buried, and I exist into the future. And church, let me tell you something. As we journey together as pastor and people, I have one responsibility, if nothing else, to make sure we understand who Jesus is. If there's nothing you get from me, the work of Jesus is significant. He is supreme. He is a, has authority. He has existed for eternity. His grandeur is unexplainable. He's still awesome. He's still holy. He's still righteous. He's still the way, the truth, and the life. He's still greater than anything in our world, and he cares greatly about our church. If you get nothing else from me, Jesus is still the answer. Consider Paige Patterson who puts it like this. Paige Patterson says he precedes all creation. And he will remain after all else is gone. As a matter of fact, if that doesn't get you, Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 3 and 18. Peter says it like this. He said, for Christ suffered one time for all sin. Hallelujah. The righteous one suffered for the unrighteous one. Um, And what did he do? He brought you to God. I'm sorry. I know y'all so saved. I'm so sorry. Y'all, y'all came out the womb speaking in tongues. I didn't. Y'all came out the womb with angel, angel, angel wings under your arm. I understand. I'm sorry. But for the rest of us who can be honest in this building, I'm grateful for 1 Peter 3 and 18. What did Jesus do for you, Pastor Justin? He suffered one time for all my sin to do one thing, to bring me to God. I don't know about you, but I needed. I was sinking deep in sin. Y'all so bougie, far from the peaceful shore. But I'm so glad that Jesus suffered one time and brought me to God. So what did he do? He put to, I wish I had a witness. He put to death in the body and made me alive in the spirit. That's why no weapon formed against me. 
I ain't got nobody, shall be able to prosper because he put that thing. Jesus died. Here's for the folk who want to be all stuck up. Jesus died for your incarnate humanity as the perfect sacrifice for sin, but has come to life by his resurrection and lives forever in the power of an indestructible life. I want to get to Smyrna, but baby, if you don't know Jesus, you're missing out on the best thing you ever could have. If you don't know Jesus, you're missing out on power and life in the future. If you don't know Jesus, you're missing out on one who's indestructible, indescribable, inexplainable, because Jesus has done things that make no sense. That's why I thank God for favor, because favor show is fun when you've been faithful unto him. So I wish I had somebody who can testify that because I know Jesus, okay, y'all trying to forget me, I walk like this because I can back it up, and I talk like this because I can back it up, and it's not because I got a big ego, but Jesus died for me. He stayed dead for me, was resurrected for me, is coming back for me, and so nothing can kill me because they already tried to destroy him. I was at school, my son last night, and uh, we had this international food festival, and uh, we were outside, Cam's playing on the playground, and uh, some kids were acting kind of weird. And my son simply pointed and said, don't fight me, fight my daddy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I ain't got to say nothing else. Because what the devil don't know, woo, you got to get through my daddy to get to me, God. And woo, cancer can't, couldn't kill you because it had to go through your daddy. I wish I had somebody. Divorce couldn't stop you because it had to go through your daddy. And when it got to my daddy, he told it to sit down. He told that pain to sh- Am I talking to anybody in the building who can look at your pain in your life and say, go talk to my daddy? There is no salvation without Jesus. My challenge for you is examine for yourself and make a decision what you stand for. Because let me tell you, when you get, you're going to live forever, you make a decision where? Uh-huh. I'm preaching that Bible. I don't, mm-mm. Mm. You're going to live forever. You decide where you're going to live. And let me tell you something. When you get to heaven, Jesus ain't going to ask you what Sundays you served what note you carried, what denomination you were with, do you believe? I wish I had a witness in this Anglican church that Jesus is who he said he is. But let me tell you this. If you do, live like it now. Don't wait till death to live. That's so good. That was, that, was, that, was, that was good, Deke. That was good. Don't wait till death to live. But what if you trusted Jesus now? What if you depended on Jesus because he told you who he is and he don't know how to lie? Oh, my God. I, that was so good. But I, he told you who he is and he don't know how to lie. So what if you trusted what he said about himself? Because we trust what other people say about us more than we trust the one who made you. Why are you calling your sister girls to fix your relationship instead of talking to the one who made you? 
I'm in it. I might as well stay in it. Why are you talking to your friends about fixing things in your life instead of going to the one who literally created you? Jesus told you who he was. He doesn't know how to lie. So I'd rather trust the truth of the one who is truth than trust the lies of broken people. That's his character. So what's his commendation? Where does he commend us? Look what he says, verse 9. I know your afflictions, yet you are rich. Let's watch this text. So he says, I know your tribulation. Literally, Jesus, remember, chapter 2, verse 1, he's walking among the seven churches, the lampstand, the menorah branch. He's walking among the lampstand. He's present with the churches. He's aware of what they're dealing with. So what did he say? I know your affliction. The Hebrew there was tribulation. The Aramaic there is the word torture. This is important. So this is how they would torture people in their culture. What they would do, they would take you into the big stadium. They would make you lay down on the ground. And they would put weight on your chest. They would, they would put weight on your chest. And they would put more weight on your chest. And they would put more weight on your chest until the weight crushed your vital organs and killed you. Jesus says, I know you're being tortured. And he says there's three types of torture in the text. There's poverty, there's slander, and you'll face imprisonment, even death. Jesus says, and here's where I commend you. Because the weight, hallelujah, that is on your chest should have killed you. Yet, you are really rich. Hallelujah. Because you haven't given up on me. I am, hallelujah, I am not letting weight that was designed to kill you, kill you. Because, okay, this is for the 18 of y'all that are waiting to shout. Because greater is he, hallelujah, that is in me, God, than he, I wish I had a witness. That's why it can't kill you. Because Jesus says, I'm standing up and I commend you for trusting me among immense pressure. I'm talking to people in here. You came to church this morning with some weight on your chest. Life has been weight and past has been weight and your pain has been weight, your trauma, your boss. and Because let me tell you this, without Jesus, that weight will kill you. Woo! Without Jesus, it was designed to destroy you. Without Jesus, it'll take your breath away. Without Jesus, the wrong blood gets spilled. Without Jesus, it will crush you. But I want to commend those of you with all the weight on your chest who still came to worship. Because I know you feel like you can't move. You feel like you can't bear it. You feel like you can't engage. But Jesus says, I commend you because in spite of all the weight on your chest, you still found a hallelujah inside of you. In spite of all the weight on your chest, you still made it to worship. In spite of all the weight on your chest, you still had a hallelujah inside of you. And the reason Satan can't stand you is he knows the weight he put on you and it was supposed to kill you. But yet you hear, I wish I had somebody who can help me make the devil mad. It should have killed you, but I got praise on the inside. I've got glory. I wish I had somebody who can make the devil mad and take 15 seconds and open up your mouth and give God glory with the weight on your chest, with the pain on your chest. Hallelujah. 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 Some of you don't know what it took for you to get here today, but Jesus says, I commend you. 
Some of you don't know what it took to get dressed to come to church this morning. Jesus says, I commend you because it should have killed you. But yet I'm in you and greater is he that's in you. For those of you who feel like you can't breathe, for those who feel like you can't move, those who feel like you can't engage, Jesus says, no, you've, you've got so many reasons whew, to throw in the towel. You've got so many reasons to cuss them out and quit. But I commend you that you won't let it kill you because you trust me more than you trust yourself. That doesn't get you. The poor in this text had nothing to do with money. The poor in this text had everything to do with your spirit. Jesus says, I know you have pain because people and situations in life are trying to kill your spirit. I know that it's nothing about Caesar's money. But Jesus says, you are so rich because you trust me. How rich and how poor are you, church? Do you trust what Jesus said? If so, the weight can't kill you. Not just that, but then he says, not only is that the way, not only is that the way they're giving you tribulation, but secondly, he says, then there's slander. Okay? Now, this ain't church talk. Rather, it was they would literally take their practices and then flip their integrity on its head and talk terribly about the Christians. So literally, the Christians would take communion. And then the Jews would go around and say they're cannibals because they're eating the flesh and the blood of Jesus. Imagine how that felt as a Christian. You are doing what Jesus told you to do, and the world around you is telling you that you're a cannibal. Not just that. They were telling each other, brother and sister, they were creating a community of faith in accordance with what Jesus told them to do. And what the other Christians in the community were doing, they were going around and saying they are anti-family because they want everybody to be in their family. See, we can say that words don't hurt and we can say words don't do damage, but many of you today are walking through the carnage of words. And it doesn't matter what we say or what we do or what we say or sing, you are literally sitting in the carnage of your words and somebody else's words. I'm talking to people in the building that your words have done unintended and intended damage to other people. Can I tell you this? I want you to free yourself from people who are committed to misunderstanding you. Let that sink in. I'm going to say it again. Because <laughs> some of us, so we just sang the song, Break Every Chain. And some of you love living with broken chains instead of living without chains at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in it. I might as well stay. I ain't getting none of y'all. Y'all know that by now. So God breaks the chain and you get out of church and pick it right back up. Because having chains makes me popular. Having chains makes people know my name. And so instead of you trusting that God breaks change and being free, because we don't like freedom, so I'd rather be committed to the lies of other people than trust the truth about what Jesus said. Can I tell you this? You are not the lies of your enemy. They're your en They're your enemy. Why are you taking their words like it's true? Do you know yourself well enough to know you are not the lies of those committed to killing you? Gaslighting, yes. Jesus says you are doing well even though you have been alienated and despised and lied on. I commend you because you are not letting slander take away the name on your life. 
He's like, I commend you. So what do we do in light of this? Well, then Jesus says, that's the commendation. You are trusting me. But here's my correction. Look at the text. I know about those who are going to receive this letter too, who say they're Jews, they're not. And here's what they're doing. They are, look at this, a synagogue of Satan. So he says, don't fall into the traps of pain, poverty. That means I'm going to be trying to be rich. Don't fall into the trap of trials because I'll remove the weight too soon. And don't fall into the trap of slander because you're trying to prove yourself to people who are committed to lying on you. So what do you do? Jesus says, recognize what's happening. When people do this, they are literally, Jesus says, building a synagogue of Satan. Those who slander the faithful are building brick by brick a place of worship to Satan. That's why the biggest temple in the city was not to Jesus, but it was the synagogue of Satan. Jesus says, do you see, Smyrna, how big Zeus's temple is? And when you slander each other, you are helping Satan keep dominion. Because you don't trust what I think about you. He says, I'm giving you eternal hope. Don't you dare worship somebody's opinion about you. Don't you dare fall in love with the worship of slander. He says, you are too rich to act poor. Church in Smyrna, he says, I know you're persecuted. I know people are oppressing you. I know you're impoverished. But Jesus says, here's the principle. Here's the one sentence summary. Jesus is giving us eternal hope in the midst of temporary despair. So since Jesus is giving me eternity in the midst of my temporary situation, don't make a permanent decision in a temporary place. Because the pressure of the church, the pressure of the community, the pressure of Christians would cause you to worship Caesar. You will be threatened. You will be persecuted. You will be taxed. But don't you dare bend under the pressure to build a synagogue to Satan. That's why Paul came back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and he says this, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he could have done whatever. He didn't. For your sake, he became poor, that through his poverty, we will be rich. And what he's calling upon, the language here harkens back to what happened in a similar city in Acts chapter 14 when other Jews were poisoning the minds of Jews about Paul and Barnabas. Hear me. It wasn't unsaved folk tearing down each other in church. It was the folk in church tearing down Paul and Barnabas. It ain't the folk who don't go here tearing down folk who go here. Paul's like, I baptized your baby. I did your wedding. I did your funeral. I was here when you had cancer. I went to the hospital. I visited you, and you did what? And they come and slander Paul and Barnabas. Jesus says they are creating a synagogue to Satan. And what he's teaching us is that we must be different than the culture. Because when Christians slander other Christians, Jesus says, you have taken me off the altar and you are creating an altar to Satan. Because we were called out of a culture of death into a culture that brings life. Because with Jesus, death means new life. (sighs) Okay. But without Jesus, death means eternal damnation. We are called as the body of Christ to live like the body of Christ. What synagogue are you really going to on Sunday morning? 
What church are you going to? Are you coming to Friendship Baptist Church? Are you at the Friendship Synagogue of Satan? Oh, you don't believe me. What Jesus is doing here, let me show you. What what Jesus is doing here, let me prove it to you, is Jesus was using an old orthodox practice. So here's how they would worship in the synagogue of Satan. I'll prove it to you. So what they would do is that orthodox Jews, they would sit there at the synagogue of Satan, and they would put up curtains in between each other, literally. So men were separate from women because they couldn't worship together in the synagogue of Satan. And then, not just that, but then Jews and Gentiles could not sit in the same area in the place of the dragon. And then they put up curtains. So their worship looked like this. They had curtains separating each other from other people. What does your worship look like this morning? You're talking about you here to welcome Jesus in. No, you built a synagogue to Satan. So it's Satan, you are welcome. Oh, we welcome you in. Satan, come sit down next to me because I want nobody else around me. So I'm going to put curtains up. And so the curtain around you is what pastors have done to you 20 years ago. I won't listen to this bald-headed Negro because he looked like the pastor that raised me. He looked like the pastor that I was a kid. I'll never listen to him on giving because I hate pastors talking about giving. And all you're doing is building an altar to Satan. I won't listen to the praise team because I don't like these young people up here singing songs. And all you're doing is building a synagogue to Satan. And Satan is up here sitting like, yes. Keep doing it. Yes, keep slandering each other. I don't want to sit next to old people because we're supposed to be a young church. And all you're doing is building a synagogue to Satan. And we're talking about building the body of Christ. This is what your worship looks like. Jesus ain't welcome in this because it's all about you. So God, thank you for my pride. Thank you for my ego. Thank you for my biases and my assumptions. Thank you, God, that what I think matters more than what you think because I like a synagogue to Satan. It doesn't just happen in church. It happens in your marriage too. Hey, babe, can we talk and have honest conflict? Nope, I'm building my own synagogue because my home is my first place of worship, so I don't want to listen to you because my opinion is the only thing that matters in this house. I don't care what my children think. My opinion matters because I'm building a synagogue. How many times? That's why you wonder why you have no friends. Your friends don't text you back because all they see are curtains. People got to go through so much to talk to you. They don't know what you was going to show up today because you've got so many curtains around you. And as silly as it looks that you all have come to worship to hear the gospel and I'm preaching behind curtains, this is what Jesus sees on some of our worship. We told him he's welcome, but then we tell him he has to stay a distance away. We told him he's welcome. We tell him he has to push away. He has to better sing the way I want him to sing. He better preach the way that I want him to preach. He better show up the way I want him to show up. And if not, I won't hear it. This is what Jesus says is the synagogue to Satan. What is it going to take for you to take your curtains down and see Jesus the way that Jesus wants to unveil himself to you? What is it going to take for you to tell Jesus, I want you, even if it means the death to my ego? What is it going to take for us to be a church body, a community, a space that says, Jesus, I want you so much that I'll get out of control in your house, in your home, in your, my workplace is a place of worship. God, I invite you to my workplace. Bring correction, bring creativity, because I don't want Satan in my nine to five. So your cubicle has become your curtains. No one can talk to you. Nobody can email you. Nobody can text you. Your cubicle has become your curtains. Your classroom has become your curtains. Your children are the children that you teach are too afraid to talk to you because all you've got are curtains. You're mad all the time. Jesus says, no, what is it going to take for you to take the curtains down in your life and trust me? 
Because let me tell you this, when it comes to slander, it's never the ones you shoot words at that suffer. It is you revealing how much you're suffering. So to those of us who are doing the work, you're receiving all sorts of insults and pain, can I encourage you with the word of God? Jesus says this in Matthew 5 and 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all types of force, false evil against you because of me. You want to know how blessed you are? Are they insulting you? Thank you, Jesus. Are they persecuting me? Thank you, Jesus. Are they making up stories about me? Thank you, Jesus. You know why? Because I'm so blessed that the only thing you know how to do is insult me, persecute me, and make up stories about me. So here's what I'll do. Verse 12 says, so then rejoice. I wish I had a witness. And be glad because great is your reward because if they did it to the prophets, they go and do it to you too. I'm talking to every person in the building who is suffering under the persecution of the weight of somebody else's insecurity. You so blessed that folk got to insult you. You so blessed that folk got to persecute you. You so blessed that God says, if they did it to the prophets, they'll do it to you too. So with my hands lifted up and my heart filled with praise, God, I thank you for trusting me with the weight of slander. So what do you do? Well, here's the exhortation. Here's what Jesus says. Here's the good news. Jesus says, verse 10, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil's going to put some of you in prison and test you, and you'll suffer for 10 days, but be faithful. Let me give you this. Here's how you stay away from creating a synagogue to Satan. Suffer the persecution well, because your pain has a time limit. (laughs) Jesus says, hallelujah, I am telling you, hallelujah, what Satan is going to do. And in 10 days, it will end. Hallelujah. Okay, so, okay, I'm going to give it to you like this. Uh, This is so good to me. Okay, so I teach ethics and sports and religion at American Baptist College. And we had midterms last week. And I wrote my test up. I wrote my test up. And uh, all semester, I took questions from one class period all semester. Based upon the lectures I have given my students, I built the midterm. I wrote an answer key out, made sure my wife looked at the answer key to make sure that my questions and the answers matched the lectures. So because all semester, I gave them a midterm based upon what they've already learned. I have the answer key. I wrote the test, and I taught them the test before they took the test. That's a nice teacher. Let me tell you, that's a nice teacher. But that is not what Jesus says in the text. Jesus says, no, I'm giving you the test, and I'm giving you the answer key. Okay. So the only way you fail is if you don't look at the answer. Okay. Okay. Jesus says, you're going to suffer, but this is how to handle it so Satan don't have dominion. He says, oh, my God. I'm giving you hope in the midst of despair. So take a deep breath and don't fail the test because you have the answer key. What's the answer key? They're going to throw you in prison, a rat-infested dungeon with no light and human excrement. But if Paul and John can suffer well and John's writing this letter from Patmos and he's alive writing this letter to you, prison can't kill you. So don't let prison kill you because I'm telling you you're going to come out of prison. 
They're going to try to kill you, Jesus says, meaning they're going to throw you into the middle of the stadium and let wild beasts come and try to eat up your flesh. Or they're going to try to burn you at the stake. But remember Daniel. The last time somebody got into a, be- a place with a bunch of beasts that were supposed to kill them, God shut the mouths of the animals and made sure the animals couldn't eat them. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because the last time somebody was trying to burn at the stake, God didn't let them die. And they didn't even smell like the smoke they were in. So I'm telling you, they're going to try to kill you, but it won't happen. Why? Because the, the text says, Brandon... That in 10 days, I wish I had a witness, God says, I'm going to bring you out. So you can get mad if you want to, or you can shout for the 10 days, because in 10 days, God says, I'm going to make sure that every weight of pain on your life will be taken from you. So don't, you can't die in prison, because I'm telling you, you've got to come out. You can't die at the stake, because I'm telling you, am I talking to anybody in the building who's been enduring heavy pain, and the word of God for you is your pain has a timetable. It won't always stay like this. It won't always be like this because God says, I'm guaranteeing you, you've got to come out to show me off. This morning, my son got got excited for breakfast. He wanted something to eat. And so I needed to make my son some food. And so I grabbed my son a croissant. He said, Daddy, I want my croissant warmed up. I said, Son, I don't want to warm it up. I don't want to burn you. He said, Daddy, Mommy always puts it on for 10 seconds. And y'all, all I did was put the croissant in the microwave. And I set the time limit on how long the croissant would have to deal with the heat. Because the way for me to enjoy it is if I put a timer on it, I'm talking to somebody who feels like you're under immense pressure, but God says, I put a timer on you. You can't die in this season. Cancer was not meant to kill you because in 10 days, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you up. I'm going, am I talking to anybody in the building who can praise God on credit that it can't kill me because Jesus says, I will be free. You got a time limit. You got a time limit. So don't make a permanent decision in a temporary place. Because here's what's going to happen. Here's the promise of the text. Jesus says, and I will give you a victor's crown. (sighs) Okay, no, it's fine. You ain't got to clap because it's Jesus. So you ain't copying for Jesus. You ain't copying for me. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Because the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all. He says, you'll be in prison, but it won't hurt you. Oh, my God. Okay. You will suffer, but it won't hurt you. He encourages them to persevere because even though you will go through it, I will not let it harm you. And if you trust me in the process, he says, I'm going to give you the crown of life. That reminds you, if you remember, what we talked about earlier. Smyrna was called the crown of Asia. Okay. Oh, my God. I love this. Okay. God says, you thought being in Smyrna was a good thing. Imagine what your life is going to be like when God gives you victory. (laughs) You thought, hallelujah, Being called the crown of Asia was a big deal. I, Jesus, am going to give you the crown of life. Okay. The question is, whose victory do you want? 
Do you want your victory or do you want God's victory? Okay. All right. Y'all quiet. I'm going to stay there for a second. Because let me tell you something. You can have victory temporarily, but you'll lose in the long haul. Let me tell you this. It feels so good to cuss somebody out. Oh, my God, it does. Doesn't it? I mean, ooh. I told them everything past Tuesday. It feels so good. You had victory in the moment, but you lost your reputation in the long run. Mm -hmm. Lust feels so good in the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, that porn that you still watch, because 7 out of 10 men in this room watch pornography, and 5 out of 10 women in the room watch pornography, that pornography that you slid to feels so good when you watch it temporarily. But it kills your reputation in the long haul when your child opens your computer and it's still on a window that you thought you closed. I am talking in this Anglican church. It feels so good to down the people you go to church with. Look at their marriage. Look at their children. Until the wrong person overhears you and it kills your reputation among people. Punching somebody in the face feels so good. There's a picture I want you to see here. It's a brother who was in prison. And I want you to see what this brother said. This brother said he made a decision. He made a five-minute decision that had 15-year implications. I want you to see this. It's a picture of a man who was put in prison. Look what he says. He said, five minutes cost me 10 years of my life because I made a permanent decision on temporary emotion. One minute, I thought I was being dis disrespected. Three minutes, I brawled in the club. One minute led to a shooting, which led to a 20-year prison bid. I missed my son's birth and 10 birthdays. I missed my daughter's birthday from 6 to 15. I missed, had $15,000 of legal costs. One emotional decision took 15 minutes to, five minutes to execute, cost me 10 years from me and my kids. Be careful when making decisions because the trade-off is not worth it. Jesus is writing to the church at Smyrna telling them, whose victory do you want? Because your victory, 15 will get you 20. Jesus' victory. Can, let me tell you what Jesus is victorious over. He defeated death. Okay, yeah. And if I hoop that, we'd be running around the church. I'm going to just say what Jesus Jesus defeated death. And you think Jesus can't handle your staff meeting? Jesus defeated death. But Jesus, my prophet and law statement, Jesus defeated death. But Jesus, you don't know about my marriage. Jesus defeated death. Do you want Jesus' victory? Because I refuse to use my oil to build the synagogue to Satan. How serious do you take your gift that you won't give Satan victory? You know, and I'm, here's where I'm finished. I, you know, because so many of us, we love playing the victim. And so when I talk about this stuff, when I talk about, like, you know, what it means, we all right now, all of us can think of all the people who hate you. It's always somebody else. We always got haters. You ever sit here and look that sometimes you're the hater too? <laughs> like, all the haters go to other churches. No, some of y'all haters too. So you're shaking haters off. You really got to shake yourself off. Revelation takes from us the people who love being the victim. Because everybody hates you. Everybody don't know you. You always misunderstood. You always the unseen, the hated, the unloved. When really you're walking in the carnage of death that you've spoken. Your status is your text, your mouth, your phone calls, your gossip. Jesus says, so you can't see me building a temple because you like suffering. So before you point the finger at somebody else, I'm talking to you this morning. Watch your mouth. Because either you're going to build a synagogue where Satan's going to live, or you're going to build hope in Jesus Christ. 
So my question to you before we go is, who have you torn down that you need to apologize to? No, really. No, 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 no. No, no. Mm -mm. Back up. Because some of y'all are like, mm, no. Mm -mm. When's the, everybody, everybody practice these words with me. Everybody just practice these words. Everybody on the count of three, I need you to say two powerful words. I'm sorry. On the count of three, I want everyone to say I'm sorry. One, two, three. That was so weak. We're going to say it again because if I had music behind it and I would like, say yeah, y'all be saying yeah. So we're going to say I'm sorry. Like We got another one too. Everybody ready? One, two, three. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh. Let's try this one. Here's another one. I apologize. Because y'all like, you know, I'm bougie. I went to college, right? I'm Let's try. I apologize. One, two, three. Who do you need to say that to? As a matter of fact, I want to help you because maybe you want to text them. You don't want to say it because you're like, you're not there yet. So I want to help you today. I'm on the screen in a second is a text message. Hey, friend, I want to apologize for the hurtful things I said about you. I take responsibility for my words. I am truly sorry for any pain that I've caused. Let that stay up there because I want you all to take a picture of it. Those of you watching, I want you to screenshot it because you're saying, I don't know how to say I'm sorry. Well, your pastor helped you. Hey, friend, because... Hurt only happens when you're intimate. Your enemies can't hurt you. Your friends and your loved ones do. And the reason you want to hear this or say it to them is because you want the relationship. I apologize. I take responsibility. And I'm sorry. Maybe that's what some of you need to send to someone. Because here's the principle. No one is too big to apologize. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again because that was so good to me. I'm going to just say it again. Uh-huh. No one, and I ain't talking about what people you think they need to apologize to. You can bring it down. I'm talking about the people you need to apologize to. No one, you too, is too big to apologize. If pride goes before the fall, maybe humility will help us rise. And here's a principle I'll give you, and I'm finished. Forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. Mm-hmm. That was good. I said, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. When I know the worst about you, because restoration is past the reconciliation. So forgiveness doesn't mean I want to hang out with you all the time. Forgiveness means I am freeing us from unnecessary tension that is distancing the image of Jesus in our lives. Mm -hmm. Now, this is grown stuff right now. Because it's very easy for me to end in the first service. I got really into this. Something came up in me at the first service and began to talk about some things, about what it means God's going to turn it in 10 days. And, but I want to say to so many of you in the room, maybe the freedom, the key, the reason why God did not let us go that direction in the service, maybe the freedom and the key for you this week is I'm sorry. I apologize. I want to move forward. I don't like conflict. Have you ever walked on broken eggshells? Like, my son, like, like, you saw me cooking. When we were younger, my son and I had a cooking thing, and we would drop eggs on accident. Have you ever put your bare foot on broken eggshells? They don't feel good. Who likes walking on eggshells? But some of you at work right now, you're just, you're just walking on You're at home, and you're walking on eggshells. Y'all sleep in the same bed, facing opposite directions on your phone to go to sleep because you're living on eggshells. You go to church on eggshells. You go home on eggshells. Maybe it's time to clean up the eggshells. I'm sorry. I apologize. 
because my hope is not in your opinion of the situation. My hope is in the one who made me, and I refuse to sully his image to you because I refuse to apologize to you. How much do you love Jesus? We want everyone to forgive us. When is the last time you actually forgiveness yourself? To the church at Smyrna, the one, the right, the words of the one who was first and last, who is dead and now alive. I see your tribulations. I see your poverty, but you're rich. Don't be like the Jews who are building a synagogue to Satan because you will be thrown in prison. They'll try to kill you, but in 10 days, I'm gonna present you. May we trust the words of the one who was first and last, that while you're in the middle, he's bringing you to the future. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Who's that person when I said, it's time to say sorry to someone that came to your mind? Who is that person? I want you to give that situation that you feel is causing conflict or tension between the two of you to Jesus. I don't want you to build a synagogue to Satan. I don't want you to get comfortable giving Satan dominion in your home. Who is that person? Hey, I'm sorry. Hey, we're misunderstood. Can we have a conversation? Who's that person? I want you to text them today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till later. I want you to text them today. Who is that person? But right now, what I want you to do is I want you to give that situation to God. God, I give you the conflict. I give you the pain. I give you the frustration. I give you the animosity. I give you my feelings.